What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 61. My name is Zach, one of your hosts, and joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Uh, it's going pretty well. But you know what? I really just want to talk about how great uh, episode 60 was. What was that thing you said at the end of episode 60? Oh. It was it was really poignant, really meaningful. Dude, I don't remember. We recorded that like three weeks ago. Uh, I think we recorded it tomorrow, actually. <laughs> oh, geez. 60. Yeah, gosh. I'm all messed up because we recorded 58 and 59 out of order, and now we're recording 61 and 60 out of order. It's a mess. But anyway, we are joined this week by Chris from Pass Left Drafts. We're going to be talking about returning to Friday Night Magic. It's going to be something special, I think. This is a, a topic that Chris brought to us um, now a few months ago, and we're finally actually sitting down to to get this out there and I think the timing couldn't be better. But before we get into all of that, uh, we do have some of our intro stuff to kind of cover. If you're not in the Discord already, definitely check that out. It's the best place to go to communicate with us. Uh, Chris is there pretty frequently as well if you want to chat with him and the rest of our community as well. So come over there, say hi, and chat some draft. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons. And in fact... It's a little bit late, unfortunately, because of our previous recording schedule. We we didn't quite get to mention it last week or the week before that. But we do have a new patron. Thanks to Ty over in the Discord for our latest patronage. We met Tyler at our pre-release for AFR, and it was it was really cool to uh, actually meet somebody who listens to the show in person. Really, really awesome. Can't thank you enough for your support. All right, on to our crack draft type thing. Ben, why don't you walk us through this pack? It looks like a bit of a unique one. Yeah, so we've actually got some Kaldheim here. Kaldheim is in quick draft right now, so I figured it'd be cool to chat about a little Kaldheim pack one, pick one action since it's been a little while since we've taken a look at Kaldheim. Now, this set is... I haven't missed it, to be honest. It's it's whatever. But you can do some pretty cool things. Did I scoop to a coma in what was otherwise a pretty fun game earlier? Yes. But did I also get to do some Waking the Trolls nonsense earlier? Yes. So I think it's worth talking about. So first out of the pack, we've got Snow-Covered Swamp. Now, it took me a quick second to remember just how good the Snowlands are in this format, and they are very good. Uh, this one's not quite as good as our second pick, though, which is Shimmer Drift Veil. But I'm just going to run through the comments here. People know these. Story Seeker, that's a little 2-2 lifelinker. Squash, a really solid removal spell. Raise the Draugr, Raider's Carve, Mistwalker, a pretty premier three-drop in blue, Jaspera Sentinel, Guardian Gladewalker, Draugr Thought Thief, and Breakneck Berserker rounds out our commons. Zach, what are you thinking out of this pack so far? Then we'd like to hear Chris's thoughts on it too. Yeah, I mean, uh, Squash has always been really good, but you, you do need a good amount of Giants in your deck to make that like exceptional. I'm not really too upset to just take the Mistwalker here. That card has overperformed from what I can remember, and I'm happy to take take a Changeling that, that can be useful both in the beginning and later in the game as well. Yeah, I think I'm doing the same here. Mistwalker is was just overperformer. I think it was something which just started midway in people's tier lists and then went up and up and up as the format went on. And I think I'm I'm same again. Squat is probably my second choice here. I don't think I'm in the position that I'm going to be wanting to take a Snowland first in this pack. Uh, I like that pick order. Mistwalker, Squash, Shimmerdrift Veil. Let's check out the uncommons here. We've got Cole the Forge Master. It's the red-white signpost uncommon that likes equipped stuff. It's good when it works. Uh, it can create some pretty nasty board states. Uh, we got Inga Rune Eyes. That's the blue 3-3 three -three that messes with combat and death and scrying and drawing cards. When this card works, it's pretty sick. And Colossal Plow. The two mana six three vehicle that I got to work exactly once in the entire format, and when it worked, it was pretty awesome. 
I don't know. I like Inga a little over the Mistwalker here, but it's it's pretty close. I haven't actually been able to make Inga work myself. I have seen it work, and I know that it is possible to do in this format, but I never really was able to get there. So I'm hesitant to take it just because of that experience. But yeah, I can see an argument to take it here. I think I think Fiddly is the best yeah. way to describe Inga. Like it, it does work, and it does work. It it works well. It's not always obvious when you should play it either, or how you should play it. I, th I think it was also limited champion the cool control towards mm. the end of the format, and that was quite quite cool and quite cool to uh, build it. I don't even remember off the top of my head how, how they would play that, but I'm probably still, if I'm being sensible, on the Mistwalker here. Although part of us really wants to take it. Wow. <laughs> I'm surprised I have to convince Zach to take a blue card that says draw three cards on it. This is this doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's all the other text that is that is causing me to not necessarily want to take it. <laughs> The creature. Whatever, just, whatever. Like, it's blue that's true. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. Finally, our rare, we've got Magda Brazen Outlaw. This is one of the red for a 2-1 Dwarf Berserker. It's a legend. Buffs your dwarves by 1-0, and then whenever a dwarf becomes tapped, you get a treasure, and then you can sack five treasures to go get a dragon or an artifact and put it on the battlefield. I'll be honest, this was actually my, my draft. Uh, I slammed Magda. I love Magda in this format. It's kind of like a mana dork, depending on how your opponent's early turns go. But even just getting something like a, the four mana sorcery that makes two 2-1 two dwarves, and there's just other dwarves running around in the format, plus all the changelings are dwarves. So you really find yourself making those treasures pretty often. I wound up in this like green-red ramp deck after taking Magda here, and then pack three, uh, I opened uh, Valky, God of Lies, and I just slammed it because I knew I'd always have enough treasures laying around. Uh, I had a Shimmer Veil in the deck, too. Uh, it was a pretty sweet deck. I think it went six and three. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. If you're new to the show, this is a section where we chat about a high and a low from the past week. Chris, why don't you kick us off this week? Uh, great, yeah, sure. So my Teferi was quite a big one, and it was my it was my first draft back at my LGS. It was the second official one ran by the LGS. Uh, but it was really good. Uh, we had a few new players who hadn't been there the week before. Had a really good time with them. They seemed to really enjoy it. They they played online a little bit. One of them had played it back in the 90s a little bit as well. But it was their first in-paper event and they, they seemed to really enjoy it. And it was just nice to be able to meet some new people who were obviously really passionate about what they were playing. As well as catching up with some, some friends and uh, who I hadn't seen in person for a, quite a while, to be fair. Um, although we had done some drafts online. Uh, so it's just nice to get back, nice to get back into the rhythms of things. My Tibble is, I'm currently on holiday, on annual leave. I'm a teacher as well. And I had lots of things I've got planned to do through the holidays and uh, a few things on my own channel that I was I was wanting to get done. And I've done some. I've definitely done some things, but not quite as much as I was anticipating. And I need to get, give myself a bit of a kick to uh, use the rest of my holiday to get all the things I, I want to get done or at least get some other, other things on my to-do list uh, checked off. That's great. The eternal struggle of content creation, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes just sitting down and starting from scratch on a new little project can be uh, a bit tough to get started, and it, they always end up taking more time than you expected in the first place. Absolutely. And also, yeah. you know, this is my bad, because I kind of rushed through the intro here, but I didn't actually get give you a second to say anything. So, Chris, who are you? Introduce us to your show and, and what, what it is that you do over there. Anything you want to you wanna say about yourself? Yeah, so past left draft, it's been going on pretty much exactly the same time as uh, this this podcast, uh, as it happens. I think it was probably a month in between, if that. Uh, it's YouTube channel. I started just over a year ago. Started originally doing commentated live drafts. Uh, went off after a little while um, for various reasons. I th something we might return to. Uh, but really, it's uh, I would say it's a kind of YouTube equivalent to what you guys are doing here, or a, a more traditional YouTube channel uh, away from the podcasts. Uh, looking at the kind of the joy of drafts, the the, the fun side of drafts. 
recognizing that it's competitive format as well, enjoying the competitive side of it, but looking at it a bit balanced and uh, maybe a bit more of a casual eye than than some of the limited podcasts and things out there look at drafts in. So yeah, we, I, I do a variety of videos. I do some, some stuff on the new sets. I do a few gameplay videos, although I try not to do too many of them uh, to set myself apart and uh, always looking for new ideas and things to do. Awesome. Fantastic. I will say, uh, I think I achieved all but one of the achievements from your uh, AFR achievement list video. Vecna is just impossible. Does, has anyone yeah. actually gotten Vecna? Um, it's. I mean, that was a fun video to put together, and I, I know I mentioned it in your Discord before uh, putting it together, and I actually got a couple of ideas from the guys there, which was really good. I've not seen that one, but the really satisfying thing was uh, MTG Goldfish do their top five arena moments of the week, and I think all but one of them was one of my achievements that I set out. So this was a... I, I went for 10 achievements that you can do in AFR drafts, so one of them was casting um, Tiamat, which one I think you, you put a screenshot in the Discord for, yeah. uh, in your Discord for. <laughs> yeah. Um, Assembling Vecna was the big one. That was the, the big finale one. Uh, but there were some easier ones to get in there as well. Getting, uh, I think I put three Nat 20s in a, in a single draft and things like that. A single uh, game was one of them as on the easier end or the, the simpler end. Just kind of looking like the Xbox achievements or the uh, PlayStation trophies. Uh, that that kind of idea and applying it to arena drafts um and i think i'll be doing that going forward as, as well because it was it was quite fun to put it together yeah, it's a great idea all right ben what about your teferi tibble all right so i'll start it off with the ferry uh, i spent this past weekend in new york city with some friends that i hadn't seen since college so we were all astrophysics majors together and then all of us kind of went our separate ways one of my friends moved up to massachusetts to work for the state system one of my friends uh, joined the Navy. She's working on a nuclear sub. My other friend is a model in New York City now. So they've all been going and doing their own thing. But we finally got back together, traversing many miles to get there. And we spent the whole weekend just like going to restaurants, checking out little thrift shops, playing Catan. We actually, had the, probably the, the funniest thing that happened, uh, we stopped by a bagel store that was nearby. And as it was closing, they apparently give away these like big bags of all the leftover bagels from the day. So we go in and they ask, well, do you want to take an extra bag or two? Because no one else has come in yet. So we end up walking out of there with 42 bagels for 10 bucks. Uh, so just basically quarter bagels. And they were like big bagels too. It was great. So I convinced my friends to draft the bagels. Uh, I tweeted out a video, like a time lapse of it. We stacked them all up. We organized them all. I will say I, I forced blueberry pretty hard, uh, but then I had to opt into cinnamon raisin. And eventually I, I wasn't really happy with my, my poppy seed picks, but uh, they, they snuck in there at the end. So uh, fun, fun time in, in New York City doing that. My tibble uh, is that I'm still unpacking my apartment and I currently don't have a desk. So <laughs> I, I uh, had to sadly ditch my old desk. It no longer really fits the space. It was an L desk and my new apartment is just not really layout conducive to an L desk. So I have my eye on a, a very nice new one uh, in Ikea, but haven't had the time to go and get it yet. So I'm currently recording from my laptop and some of my recording stuff just plugged in. I'm running out of USB ports, though. I need my PC back as soon as possible. Very nice. Yeah, I tend to run off a laptop as well because I use a lot for work. And when I'm recording, I need to unplug my stationary keyboard to plug the mic in, which is uh, <laughs> always a bit frustrating. And every single time I go to type something on the keyboard and realize it's just not connected. <laughs> and, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, so for me, uh, this week, my Teferi... Uh, well, I'm back from vacation, which really is, I guess, two weeks old now because we talked about it in episode 50 and this is 60. Actually, it's it's like a month old now. I've been back for a month, I guess. But it really was amazing. Uh, it was super, super awesome to be able to get out to a different country and visit my exchange sister again, who I haven't seen in a few years. I actually, I had been trying to learn German for the last year or so and 
learning new languages is tough, but I actually learned enough to have like a passable amount. Like I could understand people. I couldn't speak very well, but I could understand people a bit. So it was, nice. it wasn't completely hopeless, uh, which was great. I've been playing a lot of storybook brawl lately. I think I put like 50 hours into that game this week. Yeah, nice. the, it, was, it was a lot. Um, it's a really great game though. If you haven't tried it, I saw some of your trophy lists go up. Yeah, it was one of those situations where it was like, I didn't understand how people were good at that game. And then like something, I don't know what it was, but something clicked and I was like, oh, now I can actually do all right. So that was good. And then I'm, I'm really looking forward now that things are going back in person and we're kind of, you know, it's kind of the reason for this episode in the first place. I'm really looking forward to trying Flesh and Blood. It's a, a card game that a lot of folks have been giving a try lately, especially in the, the pro magic circle. And it looks like a lot of fun. So definitely excited to try to, dip my toes into that my tibble this week is well i'm back from vacation so that means i'm back to work and work is work so you know not exactly the best thing in the world but you know it's okay uh, and then uh, also i'm moving soon like the end of the month now so we really have to start kind of trying to figure out what we are moving what we're getting rid of packing all that sort of nonsense so yeah not looking forward to that exactly but uh, it should be an okay time yeah it's it's survivable i came out the other side in one piece but uh yeah, same. You we probably moved have. about two months ago as well. So yeah, it's been a yeah. Yeah, I'll be excited to have an office though that's not in my bedroom. <laughs> that'll be that'll be very nice. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week we have a question from Rob dies at the end, and Rob asks, "You are entering a tournament where you get to bring a deck you drafted. What deck are you bringing?" So I assume this is a limited tournament of some kind, at where everybody's bringing a deck they drafted. So I guess pick any of the decks from your draft history. What are you bringing? I love this question, and it's really tough. It made me have to think back to a lot of my previous trophy lists, and then also paper drafts. I think I've had some pretty good ones on Arena. But then again, are we talking about like some of the quick draft decks that are nonsense? Some of like the uh, the, the random, like for example, my, my one, um, I guess it wasn't quick draft, this was Premiere, but back in call time, I had the one absolutely absurd deck that had Koma and Kaya and like the commons that would usually be in the deck were like rares, like Yorn and Cosima were in there. That deck was absolutely nuts. That's up on my list. But I think actually my all-time, if I was supposed to enter this tournament trying to win it all, I would actually pick a blue-black deck that I drafted back in Hour of Devastation. I had to, I had to, I went back in the archives, I found that old picture of the deck list. I've got it on my phone, I can read it off. Hour of Devastation, blue-black, I think I might know one card that's going to come up here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some of the uh, the highlights include Rags to Riches, Drakehaven, Bantu's Last Reckoning, Supreme Will, Doomfall, a whole bunch of Striped Wiverwinders, and of course, the big man himself, the Scarab God. I just don't think that card is reasonable in, in Limited. I think it's probably one of the best Limited cards ever printed, and if I, you told me I had to enter a Limited tournament, I want the Scarab God in my deck. Scarab God versus Dream Trawler. Who takes the cake there? It's probably just Scarab God, right? Well, that's a tough one. I don't know. I suppose the life gain from the Dream Trawler would outrace the Scarab God, but neither of them can life really drain. And you can, if you deal with the Dream Trawler, it's dealt with. Yeah. Like, there's edge cases where you can deal with it. Uh, it's very tough to deal with, but there are things you can do. You can't deal with the Scarab God because not only does it reanimate things which stick around after it's it's been there, it comes back. <laughs> it, it goes back to your hand. Yeah. Yeah. The resiliency yeah. on that card and its ability to generate value, even when it's like not doing anything is just ridiculous. How about you guys? For me, uh, actually, uh, when I was thinking about it, uh, so first of all, AFR, if we're going to go AFR, um, the 
draft that I did on paper the other uh, day on, on Monday, which I, I posted in the Discord, had the Isareth, the blue mythic dragon. Um, that was a pack one, pick one, and then uh, I got passed for pick three, Ranger class. Um, which, yeah, it was. There was a couple of new players, like I mentioned earlier, um, which I, I nearly handed back to the person who passed it to me and said, "Look, take this. You you want this?" I didn't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not obviously not that nice of a uh, person to new drafters, but uh, it was it was one of those moments where I wasn't sure what to do. But I had quite good matches right the way through, uh, and then my final match was against a friend of mine who usually would win if we, you know he'll probably win 67 percent of the time when we play. They're, they're just a little bit better player than I am, and it was a really strong uh, match. They had the Regent, uh, the Westfield oh, Regent. Yeah. I hate that card. Yeah. Um, and we played three games, and each of the three games, I got Isareth, they got uh, the Regent, and yeah, it was it was really tight. But the only other thing I thought about was uh, the GP. I uh, did it. I was waiting for some friends to finish. It was a con- I think it was a modern GP, so I wasn't playing. And I did a quick draft. I don't usually do the quick drafts there for those who don't know. You do the draft, and you only play one round, and you get ticks based on it. But it's quite a high entry fee, but it's quite a high payout as well. So it's it's really a it's a real feel bad moment when you don't win there. And that was a Skyguard deck, deck as well. Um, nice. Funnily enough. Uh, I think it was, I, I splashed a bit of green in there for some of the minus one, minus one counter stuff, but it was absolutely unbelievable. And I followed up with another draft straight afterwards because I had the time and I, I'd won and I'd made the profit. So I drafted a mainly white with a splash of black zombie deck. And I think black, uh, black white zombies was the best deck in that format, which mm. I would have been absolutely happy to play with after the second pack. And then pack three, I opened Gideon. So yeah, that was, that was an unbelievable one as well. Wow. Yeah. It's funny for me, like I don't really tend to, and this might just be because I'm not amazing at the game and I don't trophy you at the rate that Ben does and things like that so I don't often remember many of my draft decks I don't have that many standouts but the one deck that I always come back to with limited was that stupid blue white control sealed deck that we had in Theros Beyond Death and I feel like if I'm taking a sealed deck to a draft tournament it's probably fair because typically sealed decks are weaker than than draft decks this was two-headed giant sealed. that's true that's true you got (laughs) me there yeah yeah, I guess when you open twelve packs, you kind of you kind of expect to see, <laughs> see something amazing. But yeah, that's the one that I always come back to, and I don't think that deck would lose to almost anything if I played it right. I just remembered. Uh, I I guess Amonkhet really was a a bomb full format. I mean, I guess it had like Glorybringer and that kind of thing. I, I feel like I I had one draft. I should try to find it. I had both. Oketra and Hazret in, in the same deck. And it was a, a really fun time too. I'll find a picture of that and post it in the Discord later. Yeah, I, I went to a Nationals event and uh, I just was past all these unbelievable bombs for Black White Zombies. And then my final match was, funnily enough, against somebody who I knew, even though it was a 300 person National event. And they were Black White Zombies and they also had a, a ton of just on color rares. Um, but I just had more on color rares than they did. And, you know, it was, I just obliterated them on three <laughs> on that draft. But yeah, that obviously that brings back a lot of memories. I think at the time I was wanting to buy a couple of boxes of our devastation and uh, a box of almond catches to draft in the future, and it's coming back to arena, which is good. Or by the time this comes out, it was back on arena recently. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into the main topic for today. So we are talking about heading back to Friday Night Magic, which is pretty relevant nowadays. Uh, we've been planning this episode for a while, and I guess uh, things have slowly started opening back up. So a lot of listeners have become vaccinated or uh, live in areas with high vaccination rates uh, and have local game stores opening back up for paper events. So from what we've heard, a pretty significant portion of the listener base started playing online during the pandemic. So signing up for a paper draft might be new experience. So we're here to help you navigate this process, make sure you know everything you got to do for an in-person Magic the Gathering draft or a game or whatever it might be. 
Also worth mentioning, if you're listening to this sometime in the future and you haven't dealt with the whole pandemic situation or you're just trying to figure out FNM or in-person draft for the first time, regardless of your situation, I think you'll still get something out of this. So definitely uh, be ready to take notes or, <laughs> or whatever uh, you might need to do to uh, get some insight out of, out of what we have to talk about here. So we want to mention, first of all, that it's important to stay safe and take the precautions that are correct for wherever you are geographically in the world. Uh, here in the U.S., we've got the Delta variant on the rise right now. So uh, some places are reenacting mask mandates, while some places are maybe shutting down or only having limited hours. Just make sure you're familiar with what your local area or LGS requires, whether it be masks, proof of vaccination, social distancing during the tournament itself. Ultimately, the point of this game is to have fun and have a good time, right? So whether it's by winning or uh, just messing around, it doesn't matter. You want to make sure you respect the people that you're doing that with by keeping them safe from the pandemic. So uh, if you're listening to this many years in advance, ignore that. Hopefully the pandemic ended. I'm glad you're having fun out in a non-pandemic world. If you're listening currently, uh, then I think it'll be especially relevant for that. So let's just break down what a draft is going to look like. When you actually get there, you sign up, you paid, you sit down at a table with seven other people. You'll have three packs in front of you. You'll open the first one and then uh, reveal any double-sided cards. So on paper, this is actually important. On Arena, it doesn't matter because the other players at your draft can't see the, I don't know, double-sided DFC that you opened. But in paper, it's correct to reveal it so that everyone can see because that way it's not like one person caught a glimpse of the back of your, I don't know, uh, Halvar and they were like, ooh, that guy's got to be in white now. Uh, so usually at these types of things, you just reveal the double-sided card to everybody at the table. This will be especially relevant in Innistrad because I can't imagine them getting through a vampire set and a werewolf set with no flip cards, right? That's just not possible. I'd be surprised. Hope so. So you'll take your first pick and then pass the pack to the left. And then someone will be passing a pack to you as well. So you do this, you repeat until all cards are gone from the pack. Then you repeat this, passing to the right. Uh, some people may have been drafting on Arena without ever really noticing this left-right dichotomy. I mean, if you never look at the arrows at the top or the little direction of the packs, you might not even know. And then you'll have some time to build your deck, uh, maybe get in some practice games. Pairings will go up. There's this handy new uh, companion app now that we got our first experience with at the pre-release. Good job on the companion app, Magic. It's pretty useful. You'll see pairings go up on there. You'll see who you're paired against. Sometimes a local game store will have it up on a screen too. And uh, then you're good to go. Yeah, also, quick little mention, if you're interested in learning how to draft in more detail, because that was a very high-level understanding of how drafting works, we did do an episode a, a while ago on how to draft, so definitely check that out in our episode backlog. Yeah, that was a good episode, actually, because I remember listening to it, and uh, you, you covered some good points there, and it's definitely a, something like this where people can, can go back to it at any time and pick up a few tips. Thanks. Just something to add into what you were saying there. Um, so you, you say you go through the whole pack. I think it's 15 cards usually in a pack. Uh, often uh, between packs, you're allowed a bit of time to kind of look through your picks that you've seen so far, just to remind yourself what you picked. Some places, especially when it's a more casual draft, will allow you to kind of look whenever it's appropriate as well. But yeah, just it's not just finish first pack, straight on the second pack. You do usually get a bit of time to reflect in between as well. But yeah, it's good. Yeah, and, and to add to that too, some stores that I've been to in the past, if there are other players at the table who are seasoned drafters, might try to move on to the next pack right away, do feel free to take your time. If you're new at drafting, look over your cards, take your time because the table's there, they're not they're not going anywhere and um, you shouldn't feel rushed to try to get on to your next packs because you're probably not going to draft as good as you might have otherwise if you're rushing. So take your time and uh, enjoy it. 
Yeah, and, and maybe even, I think we're going to touch on this a little bit later on, but, you know, even before you sit down at the table and introduce yourself, tell people it's your first event, tell people it's your first paper event, because they'll understand, they should understand, and, you know, know to cut you a little bit of slack as well and to make sure you know what's going on and just explain things. Once you sat down at the table, it sometimes makes a lot more sense. People can actually say, look, this is what we're sitting, I'm going to pass it to you, then you're going to be passing it to this person. And, you know, people are friendly, and I, I think draft crowds tend to be some of the friendlier bunches in, in, in Magic a lot of the time, in my experience. Yeah, sure. and it's not actually obvious when you're playing on Arena, but you typically will draft your cards face down when you're drafting in person, and so you won't actually see your cards. Depends on the store and the casuality of the event. A lot of F&M style drafts, most stores don't care if you're looking at your cards mid-pick, but typically you would draft the cards face down and not look at them throughout the draft until that section between packs where you can look through, as Chris was mentioning. So do keep that in mind. Don't draft your whole deck face up, especially because that tells everybody at the table what you're drafting, and that's not always a good thing when you're playing against your pod. Yeah, although between when you do the draft and when you play, often you'll build your deck face up. True. Uh, some some places will allow you to go separate off. I know on occasion when I've had a pretty spicy deck which kind of relies on some sneaky stuff, I have said, look, I'm just going to take my stuff away. I'd like to keep it a little bit of a surprise. Um, but usually I'll just build the deck with people there and ask people for help with, with deck build and think, oh, I've got 24 cards here. I need one more cut. What do you think? In most places, that's perfectly acceptable to do. Absolutely. Unless you're playing at some kind of competitive event where it's, it's not acceptable. But uh, at, at, reg rel, at re- uh, regular rule enforcement level, it's perfectly fine to do that. Uh, so when you're going to play the game, so you've done the draft, you've built your deck, uh, you've grabbed some lands, uh, potentially from the store if you take some yourself. Uh, you can use your own basic lands. So you sit down with your opponents, and it's probably important to say that paper events are all going to be best of three. Uh, so if you're used to playing best of one on Arena, it's going to be best of three. But you sit down against your opponents, you would normally offer to... Uh, so you would shuffle your decks up, uh, you'd roll to see who's going to go first, or see who gets to choose to go first. You can choose to go second, although it's usually encouraged that you choose to go first these days. And you, you shuffle up and allow your opponent to cut your deck. That might not be happening everywhere at the moment because of COVID and uh, trying to minimise contact between people, but I, I think a few places probably will be doing that. Uh, my local store tending away from that at the moment, but normal circumstances you will be offering to cut your deck as a show of goodwill. So you draw your, your hand, you draw your starting hand, you draw seven cards, and if you're going to go first, you'll start playing, and then you'll pass the opponent, and then they'll draw a card for their first turn. So something that I've noticed when playing with people who've only started playing on, on Arena, or only started playing digitally, is the single hardest thing for them to understand is that you've got to draw a card at the start of every turn, and it's the thing that's always missed. Because I think a lot of the other interactions are things that you've got to do. You've got to tap your mana to cast your creatures. You've got to tap your creature to attack and things like that. But you don't have to draw your card. You do have to draw your card, but it's not an obvious mandatory thing to do. Um, And I think when you're first sitting down, there's so many things going on in your head, it's quite an easy thing to to forget about. You want, oh, I need to untap my lands, uh, which Arena normally does for me, and, and, and you worry about all that stuff. So that's one that I've noticed gets missed a lot. Another one is uh, making sure you play your land, or I guess more specifically, making sure you don't play a second land for turn. I think the second most common thing I tend to hear behind, ooh, did I draw this turn? Is, did I play a land already this turn? Uh, so just remember, when you play your lands, maybe keep track of what turn it is, make sure you don't go over the number of lands that you have in turns, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and because Arena does take a lot of shortcuts for you. So, you know... Th- as I'm sure people who are listening to this who are wanting to go into paper events are aware, you know, that there is a lot more stuff you need to think about. But it's it's a learning curve, and it's quite a quick one, I think. You can quite quickly get into the, the muscle memory. I think when I first got back to playing paper, after not playing paper for a while, it took a little bit of time for those muscle memory things to come back. But you, you, you fall into habits quite quickly. 
And one other thing to mention at this point as well, you know, you, you are sitting against a, another human being. You know, it's not just you sitting against your screen. Uh, you need to remember that. Uh, you know, it's it's quite customary to say to your opponent, good luck. Uh, you might even say, oh, you know, how did your draft go? They might, they might not want to say exactly how it went. You know, they might say, oh, I've got some nice spicy bombs in there you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy seeing, or oh, it seemed to go okay, I think, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it, you can have a conversation with your opponent, and that's a, that's a big difference to uh, when you're just playing against an avatar on the screen, some random Johnny avatar that you're, you're seeing across the table from you. Yeah, you're not blowing up planeswalkers here. You're uh, you're actually sitting down across from a real person, have a conversation with them, introduce yourself, make it feel comfortable, especially if you're new to in-person events. The more comfortable you can make yourself feel by making others feel, the more fun everybody's going to have at that event. So I guess I've been attempting to maintain the same amount of human interaction virtually by just spamming emotes. Okay, maybe spamming is a tough word. Um, frequent use of the crying hedron emoji when missing land drops or, or the angry hedron emoji when uh they play their westgate region or something like that mm. although i will say there's no substitute for the real thing no there's not and i mean the flip side of that as well is to kind of keep yourself calm um i think we've all succumbed to a little bit of salt uh, is, is the best way to, to describe it I, i'm liable to it myself as my friends know but you know you, you are playing against another person and, and there's one thing getting a bit frustrated and you know taking yourself away from the draft when you're playing on, on Arena or something like that. It's not really affecting anybody. But if things aren't going your way in person, then you kind of just need to absorb it and, and remember that you're playing with people who are also there to enjoy their time. And every match is going to have one winner and one loser. So, Yeah, and that goes back to a Mental Magic episode we did on enjoying your losses. So check that out if you're interested in learning how to do that. But for sure, I mean, everybody everybody's there to have fun, especially when we're talking about FNM events. They are relatively low stakes, most people are there just to enjoy the draft, to meet with some people, maybe hang out with some friends. So keep that in mind. You're not playing for a million dollars or anything. Have fun. Now, there are a few other things that we wanted to talk about that do differ between in-person and online play. We covered a few of them, like having a real person sitting across from you. Definitely don't forget about that. But there are a few other things that you might not have thought about when you decided to go to an in-person event that are going to be pretty relevant. So one of those is you have to actually handle your cards. I think something, especially me having been a longtime paper player prior to the last year and now having played probably more Magic Online in the last year than I've played in person my entire life, Handling your cards when you're not used to handling your cards takes some effort. It is not the most easy thing to do right off the bat. You have seven plus cards in your hand depending on the deck you're playing and you have to draw and move your lands around and tap to attack and all these different things. It's a very tactile game. You have to touch a lot of different things. And so try to work on that. And on top of that, you are playing in a pod. You don't have the typical arena situation where you'll draft against a pod and then play against random players. You are playing against the people that drafted with you. So that is something to keep in mind. Your decks are going to be of a relatively similar power level on average, unless you are the only person drafting the colors in your in, in your pod. And often you'll you'll notice that. I mean, that, that part doesn't really change. We're used to drafting with people online at this point, but you will be playing against those people. So keep that in mind when you pass a card that you, you know, this, this actually kind of brings up the topic of hate drafting, which we don't really see anymore because, I mean, now we see rare drafting, right? But in person, there's this notion of hate drafting. And the idea is to take a card in a pack when you otherwise don't have a great pick, take a card that you don't actually want to play against because your opponents will end up with that card if you don't take it. So it's something to keep in mind, not necessarily highly recommended to do, but you're going to be playing against the cards that you see in your draft, whether you draft them or not. So keep that in mind as well. Another part that's kind of huge with Arena is it does all the thinking for you in terms of what's on the battlefield and such. So 
in person, you have to remember your triggers. You have to draw at the start of your turn, which we talked about. It's a huge one. But you have to remember to keep track of your life total. You have to remember any of your combat triggers, any of your upkeep triggers, which there can be a lot of at times. You have to remember to put counters on things and use your use dice um, depending on the cards. And, you know, with AFR, we're used to rolling dice. You're going to have to actually roll a die. So there are a lot of different things like this to keep track of. You can make this a little bit easier on yourself by using the spin downs that you can find um, that are sequential in number on, on the D20 so you can easily track uh, what number's next and it saves you some time. You can also use companion apps. There are plenty of them that do life tracking for you and your opponent at the same time so you can kind of keep track of things more easily that way. Doesn't hurt to have a handful of D6 dice around so that you can use them for counters and such uh, on your creatures and just try to keep track of all these different little things that are going on as you're as you're going through the game because you know we're used to arena handling all this stuff for us. One of the trickiest things that I've always found in paper is remembering to do something before you draw your card for the turn. So a handy little trick, just put one of your D6s on top of your deck. For example, if you had a card that said tap to scry one, argar battle seer, whatever, and you want to scry on your upkeep, well, just put a little thing there so then as you go to draw that card, you go, wait a minute, something I'm supposed to do right now. Because depending on the, the rule enforcement level, sometimes you'll be allowed to like take an action back or kind of uh, mess it with it a little, especially like pre-releases or casual FNMs. An opponent might be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just walk it back like a step. But sometimes if you're against a more competitive player or if you're in a more competitive store or environment, you might just, you know, miss the thing. So if you meant to scrawn up, keep and you forget, that's probably when you're not going to get to take back. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that, that's kind of looking between the competitive and casual and you know casual events are there but sometimes when you when it's that third round of a th uh, three round event or something there is a little bit on the line as well especially if there's a nice promo for first place or something so you can see why people might want to try and err a little bit closer to the, the strict way to do things but uh i don't think you can really hold it against the opponent in most cases when they want to do that as well uh but it's nice when you know people are, are willing to roll things back and again it's well it comes back to saying if you introduce yourself as a new player right at the start of the night then people might be more willing to cut you a little bit of slack and you know when they know what the score is yeah, so that, that brings us to reasons you might want to play in person. We just talked about a few things that kind of make you might make you think maybe I shouldn't play in person. There's all this extra stuff I have to keep track of. I've got to talk to people. Well, that's one of the big reasons to play in person, right, is that you actually get to interact with people. Winning can be a lot less important when you're playing in person. I think, you know, we're a little inundated now with the amount of games we can play. Uh, you can just string them all together and you never really have to stop drafting if you don't want to. And sometimes too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? So in this case, you can play your three rounds. You get one draft in, play your three or four rounds, depending on the story you're at, and just have a lot of fun with some human interaction. Enjoy the people around you. Talk about the awesome draft you had. Everybody has those draft experience stories to share. And when you can share them with the people who were involved in the draft, it's all that much better. So definitely take advantage of that. You have plenty of time to discuss your plays and your picks. And oftentimes, because there is a round timer in most events, um, you'll have 50 minutes to play all three of your games in your best of three match, including sideboarding and things of that nature. Um, and then there, it does go to turns after that, which is a section of the game where there's no time limit, but you have so many turns to finish the game or it ends in a tie. So you do have that time limit, but if you finish before that time limit, there's plenty of time to talk about your games. If you're newer to magic in general, not just coming from arena, this is a great time to say, hey, how could I have done better? Or how, how could I have played this turn out in a different way that might have made made a difference for the game? Whether you win or lose, uh, you know, it's always good to get some information from your opponent and see how they were thinking through the turn. Or maybe ask them, what were you thinking on this turn? And why did you do it this way versus this way? And, you know, it can lead to some really interesting conversations and level your game up at the same time. 
I think that, that jumps back to the draft portion as well, you know, not necessarily straight after the draft's finished, but people know what they've been passed and they might say, oh, well, why did you pass this card? Like, this this seemed like really good. It was, why, why was our past pick three Ranger class, you know? Um, that's a pretty extreme example, but it might be a Grim Bounty was passed four, pick four, something like that. And you think, well, that seems quite unusual. Oh, you, you ended up in black. Well, you passed me some good stuff pack one. What happened? You know, did you pivot part way through the draft? Uh, so it's not just the games where you get to talk about that. It's, it's the, the draft section as well it comes up in. And another difference as well, because you're playing in paper and you see the people who you're playing with, you get to see what everybody else's decks are. Not necessarily straight away. Some might get the same straight away, but you get to see how it's broken down. And if you've only played on Arena, you might assume that it's always quite nice and you get a red-green player, then a blue-black player, then a white-green player, then it's it's nice and like evenly distributed. When a lot of time that's not the case, you'll often have like three green drafters right next to each other. Well, maybe not often, but you know, there's sometimes it's heavily skewed to one side of the table and uh, it gives you a bit more of an understanding of um, how people are picking cards and how the signals are affecting the, 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 the packs that you're seeing. Yeah, and if you're worried about a, you know, or or a little bit tired of the constant red black mirrors, don't worry about that in person because again, you're playing in pods, so it's very unlikely that two people will draft super highly powered versions of the same deck. <laughs> yeah. Now, this might be a a personal preference, but I love playing in person because you can bluff. And that's not really something you can do as effectively online. You can, but there's little things with like the arena stops and for example, at this point by now, I know that if uh, my opponent has a stop after they play, I don't know, like they, they, they open on like mountain and they and then they have like a brief stop and then uh, nothing else. I'm like, oh, they have dueling rapier. They just I just know they have it. So in paper, that doesn't happen. In paper, you can get a little more creative. For example, one of my favorite things to do is uh, send a 2-2 at my opponent's 3-3. Just send it in and just look them straight in the eyes and just see what they do. <laughs> It <laughs> doesn't matter if I have the trick or not. I, I like to have the trick, but I'm very comfortable doing that with no trick at all. Another way you can do is if you see them going to do something about it, like, I don't know, if they've got a block, then just slightly reach towards your lands, like you're going to tap them for something. Uh, that's one I've done in the past. It might be a bit more sneaky, but, you know, it's well within the rules, it's well within that. But, uh, you know, I think that's especially what to do if you know the person that you're across from as well. And uh, mm. uh, that's that's one I've, I've pulled once or twice. It's a bit like when you mouse over your card on Arena just to make them think that you're uh, reading a card that's actually a basic forest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, sandbagging a land in your hand is a little bit more useful in paper because, you know, there's no auto-pass function in paper. I top deck my forest. I'm going to spend a minute looking at that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, within reason. I'm not going to stall the yeah. game out. But And sometimes there are usually more reasons to play out your lands than to potentially sandbag them. But you can get funny with, with little things here and there. Yeah, and I just want to take it back a little bit, sorry, because uh, you, you've gone through and, and talked about winning is less important. Uh, I'm definitely a lot more likely to draft some nonsense deck in paper than I am on Arena, because um, I generally play Premier Draft on Arena, and I've talked about it in the Discord before, if you don't get those three wins, it's really punishing if you don't get it on Arena. Uh, you know, there's, there's a huge discrepancy from if you go zero wins to seven wins. Obviously, it's a little bit different. It's usually a, th- a three-round format in, in paper. Three or four, depending on how many people are playing. But if it's an eight-person eight pod, it's going to be usually a three-round match. So in paper, you're paying, you get some packs. If you win, you might get three packs in a promo or something like that, maybe. Like, depends on the store, obviously, what their prize structure is. Some places might not even have any prizes. And... Okay, it's nice when you get that, but it's not the end of the world. It's not going to stop you from drafting the next week. Whereas on Arena, if you don't get those three wins or four wins, you might not be able to draft again for another week on mm-hmm. Arena, which we're talking about things that are a week apart. But, you know, unless you want to put cash into Arena, 
there's, there's a, it's a hard stop. And yes, you're playing cash in person, but you're also paying that cash for the experience, the social side of things, and the cards that you get to take away. I mean, you, you get to keep those physical cards, and those physical cards, like it or not, have a value. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've seen that matter very heavily depending on the format. You know, if you're drafting Modern Horizons 2 and you open a Ragavan, well, there's there's a few drafts for you. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, you don't don't quite get that on Arena, um, unfortunately. But yeah, walking away with actual stuff uh, is is a big reason to, to play in person as well. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I haven't, you know, slammed a foil promo alt art whatever over what might have been the correct pick. Because when you show up and you play that thing, it's like, well, <laughs> you did it. You got there. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, you just mentioned file promos. You get file promos in, in packs. You get the, the showcase things where you yeah. don't get that on Arena. You just get them through your Mastery Pass or cosmetics and things. So, you know, just I was going through a pack on Monday, and it's like, oh, these showcase cards are really nice, actually, aren't they? Yeah. Um, And, you know, sometimes you just take it because it looks cool and because the other picks weren't really going to do anything for you. So I wanted to go through a few do's and don'ts of paper play. Just uh, think of it as a miscellaneous section. So when you're passing your packs in a draft, you don't want to cause a pileup. I've seen this happen a bunch of times where someone will have, maybe they're taking a while on their pick, and they'll have like three packs that have been passed to them by the person uh, to their right. And then someone bumps the table and the packs will get jumbled together. And it's a nightmare. You can't do anything about it. There's no way to fix that because you know the information was hidden. So to stay organized, it's usually best to have only one pack, like waiting at a time for someone on a table. That's what I've noticed is common courtesy throughout my years of paper drafting. Uh, you'd like to have one in your hand waiting to put down and then uh, wait for them to pick up that pack from the table before you replace it with the one that you passed. And sure, you might have one on your right, maybe someone's passing to you and they're getting slowed down, but it keeps the flow of pack traffic a little more even. Would you guys agree that, that that tends to be the best strategy? I don't know if there's a different customs in different local game stores. Yeah, I think uh, that's been my experience as well. We tend to draft at the similar places though, so you know that's a little bit skewed in that way. But one thing that you don't really experience that with is in, in Arena, you can just pile up all the drafts, or all the packs rather. I mean, it does slow the pod down, but... It, there's no spatial issues there, right? You can just pile up the packs and take them at your leisure. And you can still take them at your leisure, but holding on to a pack while your opponent hasn't picked up the one you passed to them already can just make things much more concise and easy to follow uh, when you're drafting in person. Yeah, I think I agree. Sometimes I might have put a second, on occasion, a third pack down towards the end of a pack. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely the thing to do. I think on a similar note as well, make sure that the, your pick pile, so you'll, you'll probably put everything in one pile. Some people do put a, do a couple of different piles. But make sure that's really distinct from what you're passing on. Uh, so the person who you're passing to isn't going to accidentally pick up the deck that you're drafting at that point. I've seen that happen. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, it's always embarrassing when it happens. Information reveal-wise and just like you screwed up-wise. Another bit of draft etiquette. This is probably the biggest one. What Chris was saying earlier about like remarking about, uh, oh, like I got a late rare or something like that. What he was saying is the right way to talk about the results of a draft. The wrong way to do it is going, why is this card still in the pack? And I've heard that said so many times and someone will be drafting and they'll be like, wow, why is this plundering barbarian still in the pack? This is an A-level card. And everyone will look at them and just think, man, what a jerk. What's going on here? <laughs> like, it's never, a, they're never talking about, like, a Grandmaster of Flowers or something like that. Everyone knows the Planeswalkers are playable. But when someone is just making a big deal, all that accomplishes is making the person directly to their right and maybe a few more over to the right feel like an idiot. And that is not why we're here to do things. 
So there's a better way to do this. Like Chris was saying earlier, just talk about it afterwards. Just say like, wow, like green was open. Uh, what was your first pick? There's ways you can talk about this without being a jerk to the people and making them feel like they made the wrong pick or a dumb decision. And, uh, you know, it comes down to it. You get foils in the pack. You can get two rare packs. Um, so sometimes you'll get a surprise and pick and think, oh, well, they're taking a common, but actually it was a foil rare, you know, which is potentially better or just worth the money. Definitely. I think it's also good to keep in mind to just be patient and polite while you're drafting. Sometimes the people to your right will be brand new. Uh, sometimes you're the least experienced at the table. Just take your time with the draft or else uh, it can get kind of messed up and then no one has fun. And another thing that you should keep in mind, call a judge if you have to. A lot of stores, uh, in the U.S. at least, apparently this isn't true everywhere. I want to say pretty much every store I've seen uh, in the U.S. will have at least one judge-level employee. Uh, or sometimes a player will have like judge experience and they can help you work out a tricky rules interaction. Or sometimes you have to like walk back the game state uh, a turn or two if someone missed a really important trigger or something like that. Yeah, and don't don't be afraid to ask for that. You know, if you're, if you're discussing something with your opponents, uh, you, you might kind of both be agreed on what the action should be. But if it's quite important action, you might just want to get a third party, uh, whether it's a judge or somebody else who's just knowledgeable of the game to advise on what the best course of action should be. Uh, or a rules interaction like uh, as well. So sometimes you get some really complex rules interaction. Do you know what happens when um, if somebody mind flares your mind flare? Mm -hmm. do, do you know what actually happens then? Ooh, uh, let me think. So it's until mind flare says gain control of target creature and as long as you control mind flare, right? Yes. So let me let me let me guess. If I, so, let's say I have a mind flare. Someone mind flare. Right, let's walk <laughs> it back. Uh, judge. So I mind flare my opponent's barbarian. They then mind flare my mind flare. Both go back to the other side. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. then, uh, which I, I got then, wrong on my achievement list. Um, yeah. So I, I got that wrong on my achievement list because it is an unusual interaction and it involves two rares that you're going to rarely see. A lot of times those effects are worded such that it's do the thing until this leaves the battlefield, and so yeah, that's it. saying that it happens until you lose control of it really changes things up, and it's not something we're used to seeing. So I totally understand that. I think I yeah. had this come up once with Price of Loyalty, where I was surprised to see like one thing stick on the other side of the battlefield when I didn't think it was supposed to or something like that. But again, helpful to have judges nearby or someone that knows the rules. Yeah, there's no, there's no harm in going. I'm pretty sure I know how this works, but I just want to make sure. Jumping back to the start almost here, uh, we've, we've talked about what happens when you're in the store and things like that. Some prep to do before you go to the store, before you even get there. I would say before doing anything else, you can actually contact the store. Say, look, I'm thinking about coming down. It'll be my first draft. The store might be able to just make sure there's somebody on hand. They might make sure that they have the judge working that night, uh, whereas might not always always have that on. Uh, but I, I remember, I still vividly remember my first draft. I messaged the store, but it was a chain, and it was actually I messaged a different store, um, and they didn't realize I was wanting to go somewhere else. So... Uh, but they, they were very welcoming when I got there and, you know, they, they knew I was there. They, they said, oh, well, actually, if you go sit next to this person, they'll, they'll make sure you're okay. Uh, and that really helps. And stuff you might want to bring. So yourself, obviously, you take yourself, you, you're going there and, and, you know, you are going to an event in person and, you know, make sure that you're, you're preparing yourself to go. A life tracker, something way to track your life, which I've already talked about with D20. But a paper is absolutely fine. I actually used paper for a, a long while before I actually got a D20 spin down. Sleeves? are definitely optional, I would say, but I think they're a big quality of life improvement as well. You would think that sleeves would be mainly for protecting your cards, but actually one of the first benefits that I've found, and still to this day, one of the reasons why I want to play with uh, sleeves in a draft, uh, because most of the cards you're going to draft aren't going to be worth very much at all, is actually, it's a lot easier to shuffle with sleeves. 
Um, yep. If you ever, you, I go back to like shuffling playing cards now, and I can't just mash shuffle. I just can't shuffle in my hand. You've got to do the ripple, riffle and stuff like that. Uh, so it is actually a, a, quite a big quality of life improvement. Talk about counters. Often you're going to be using D6s to represent plus one, plus one counters and things like that, or where you are in the dungeon or, or, or something. And if you have played paper, if you do have some paper cards, take your trades because, you know, like you say, a match will last 50 minutes. Most matches that you play, you won't go to time because uh, it's it's conservative amount of time to allow 90% of people to finish. Um, so when you're doing that, you can talk about the draft, you can talk about some tips, you can talk about what you're doing in, in the rest of your life. And you can also do a few trades. You can see what your opponents got in their trade bind, then you might want to trade or buy a card or sell cards or, or something like that. And if you've got any other decks as well, sometimes you might just want to squeeze in a, a quick game of Modern or Standard or ADH in, in between. Even if you don't get to finish the game, sometimes it's just a way to fill the time. So uh, if you've got the decks to bring, just bring them along. If you don't use them, you don't use them, but you, you might get that chance. All right, so that does it. Hopefully you learned something about getting into Magic uh, for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time in paper. Enjoy your drafts, and we'd love to hear about them in the Discord. Check that out if you haven't already. You can find the link to that in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Again, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We have all sorts of different perks over there like stickers and signed cards from Ben and I. We we are going to be starting sending out our Draft Chaff Hero cards every set um, to new patrons as well. And there are a handful of other things like deck building opportunities, access to pre and post show nonsense with uncut episodes and things like that. So if you're interested in supporting the show, that's the best place to do it. You can check that out and we would really, really appreciate it. And if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can find all three of us in our Discord, in the Draft Draft Discord. But if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can find me on Twitter at Randic Alfredian. You can find Ben on Twitter at Betafish1. And Chris, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter at PLD underscore MTG uh, for Pass Left Drafts, Magic the Gathering. And also YouTube is going to be Pass Left Drafts. And it's pretty easy to find me on YouTube uh, through searching that. Awesome. Thanks so much for Chris for coming on. It was really great to have you and we hope you all enjoyed having him on as well. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. You might think the episode is over, but it's time for a little sign off action. So all of this good in paper stuff was making me think of some of the best paper in-person experiences that we've had to really, you know, sell the listener on why they should give paper play a chance. So I want you guys to think of uh, a good paper play experience that you had just something fun doesn't have to be like a fantastic game win or something but just something kind of fun that happened to you uh, i can kick us off while you think so i played in a paper modern star city games 1k this was pre-pandemic this is ages ago and i don't usually play modern but i had spent a lot of time and effort building a black green white and abzan rock deck with siege rhinos and lilies and fatal pushes and goifs and grim flares and lingering souls ah beautiful deck now it wasn't good <laughs> in the meta at that time it was so far off meta uh i was playing like resto angel and thrag tusk while everyone else was bringing like snapcasters and uh that was right when i think it was the cascade deck was was starting to pick up the uh as foretold is that the, the blue card from amonkhet Right, mm -hmm. that lets you like yeah. free cast stuff. So it must have been right around when Amonkhet came out. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, I, I felt a little outgunned in, in the games, but it went really well. And as the night kept going, people started whispering, like, you hear about the guy with the siege rhinos? And like, people would come over and be like, you the guy with the playing siege rhinos? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, check it out. And I got very lucky. I top forward, came in fourth in the overall thing and spent the cash payout on a concert ticket the very next day. So uh, it was 
super worth it. And just like that kind of notion of bringing something fun to the table that nobody else had, just super fun experience. Yeah, I remember that event, actually. I wasn't there, but Ben usually gives me play-by-plays when he's in tournaments, so he'll text me like in between matches and stuff and just let me know how things are going. Star City Games upload, they do like an article and a post with like the top eight deck lists, and he just sent me a link to his deck list on there, and I was like, oh, <laughs> so humble. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you top four a Star City Games event with Siege, Rhino, Resto Angel, and Modern, you got to brag about it a little That's bit. That's true. That's true. You four drops in Modern? Like, come on. Yeah, you can't even play four drops in like historic. No, let alone modern. Sad. Unless it says win the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, my my play experience I've mentioned a few times. I think on the show, the first one that came to mind was that time that we trounced those two other folks in the uh, two at a giant sealed tournament that we were playing as a side event at an at a GP New Jersey and we dropped out of the main event because we built this ridiculously it was it was a, t- a very tuned Esper control list that was supposed to beat Marta vehicles in standard and neither of us played Marta vehicles even though it was like 85% of the field and yeah we we just we just got destroyed so we played this two at a giant sealed side event we made it to the last round undefeated and we were like guys we really want to split we're hungry it's like nine o'clock at night can we just split both take our prizes and go and they were like no we came here to play and they sat down angrily at the table and we destroyed them and it was such sweet i don't even know what the right word is but it was like chef's kiss it just felt so good for the the way they were treating us at the beginning of the game it was just it was just great would say would that be class of schadenfreude so mine is actually kind of similar to both of yours um it was our devastation it was the same nationals event that i did the black white zombies deck where i got all the res um and it was one of the constructed portions and i took a really off the wall deck. It's the deck I'm kind of known for locally now as well. I absolutely loved it. It was Indomitable Creativity, uh, which does say play a bit in Historic, um, but it played very different to those decks. So yes, you were making tokens, and yes, there's only certain things you wanted in your deck to hit, uh, but they weren't kind of win the game cards. It was a combustible ear hulks and uh, sifter worms and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And But it also had some tokens which you could ramp because Battle of Zendikar was in. You had the spawn, Scions, Spawns, I can't remember which way around they were. Uh, which were tokens that you could create of things to sacrifice them for a mana. So instead of solely be focused on the creativity, um, you could sacrifice them and just hard cast your six drops, your seven drops, uh, quite early. But sometimes you would have three tokens on the board. You'd cast indomitable creativity. You'd sack all three tokens and get out like three huge creatures. Uh, Gear Hulk, like Zendikar, Titan, or whatever. Um, I think, yeah, so I had Ulamogs in there as well. It doesn't cast them, so he didn't get the trigger, but, you know, they'd suddenly be facing down a whole load of stuff. And it was really fun to see because you would cast in double creativity. Nobody knew what that card did because I was probably the only person playing it in the whole of Standard at the time. I was definitely the only person playing it at this 300-person Nationals event. And they would say, hold on, let me see that card. And they'd have a read and then look at it and then they'd have another read and just seeing their face. And like when you're going through your deck and just, you, you see the smiles, even though you're playing a competitive event, the smile slowly gets bigger and bigger and bigger on the face. Yeah. You see the absolute nonsense that you're doing. Uh, and, you know, you can play nonsense decks on Arena, but it's that interaction you don't have. Um, and it's that interaction which has kept me playing as much as I have. You know, I, I started playing uh, Magic six years ago. I almost certainly wouldn't be playing now if it wasn't for the paper element. Uh, if it was just Arena, I'd probably have dropped it about three years ago and been quite happy when I played, but then it just kind of fades out.